0: I'm joined by Marine veteran Carrie Roger, co-founder and chief executive officer of Rally Point Grill, a restaurant franchise that brings the camaraderie and tradition of the American military to you in a family-friendly environment, complete with a full menu, bar, and friendly staff. Carrie and her husband Ralph opened their first restaurant, Simplified Bar and Grill, in 2015 in order to build community and create a home away from home for veterans. After running the business for the last seven years, they're looking to expand nationwide by offering franchise opportunities to military veterans. On the show, we talk about the origin story of Simplified Bar & Grill, how they persevered during COVID, and the market opportunity to create a franchise model. Carrie is a beast, super sharp, and brings a wealth of knowledge to the show, so stay tuned. Before you hear from Carrie and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlives.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show. And that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Carrie, welcome to the transition. What's going on?
1: A little bit of everything. I'm just crushing it out there.
0: I'm happy you're joining us today. I found Carrie on LinkedIn, y'all, because you know, while it's great, I, I have people in my immediate circle, and a lot of you all see posting content online and in some of our different programs. What fascinated me about what you're doing, Carrie, is the restaurant, the grill. And I know that that is a very hard industry. I know we've been through a lot with COVID and I realized I haven't had a restaurant owner on. And so I reached out to you and also the fact that you're a Marine veteran, I was like, I know it's gonna be a great episode. And uh, you know, with us just talking in the pre-interview, I could just tell how passionate you are about helping this next generation of our veteran entrepreneurs. You know, I'm working on a paper right now um, for uh, that I'm gonna plan to submit to the Hoover Institution around entrepreneurship as a form of poverty alleviation um, in American inner cities. And when we think about a lot of veterans transitioning out, they're stressing about finding job opportunities and stuff, et cetera. And uh, entrepreneurship represents another pathway for them as well. But I also don't want to sugarcoat it, make it seem like it's all sunshine and rainbows, because there is a lot of risk involved. There's a lot of cash involved. And so although it's this great opportunity, we got to make sure we have people like you that have been in the trenches to share these lessons to help make it more easier for those transition veterans that do decide, decide to uh, pursue that route. So I uh, still have to say I'm honored to have you here today.
1: Thanks much. I'm really, really stoked to be here and to be a part of this. Uh, I think there's so much opportunity to help and share others out there uh, along in the journey. And I find listening to podcasts like yours is so helpful to me still, even after quite a few years of being an entrepreneur. There's always something more to learn. So I'm just really stoked and excited to be here, to be able to give back a little bit.
0: So let's start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners today.
1: Sure. So my name is Carrie Roger. I am a Marine veteran, uh, enlisted Marine veteran. I, I did my time from 88 to 93, and I was a Russian linguist. And so once I once I left the Marine Corps, I did get a degree. I went and used my GI Bill, got the degree from the University of North Carolina at Wilmington because my husband was still active duty Marine. We left, we left um, North Carolina in like 1997 and moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where I took on corporate jobs for quite a while. And then in 2015, my husband and I decided to open a restaurant as a wild hair.
0: Just, just off the cuff, you just decided to open up a restaurant?
1: In, indeed. It is a really, really bizarre story. So I, at the time I was working in corporate America, I was working in construction management for residential construction. We were in Vegas for an industry show and someone had tipped us off to a restaurant in Vegas called the Leatherneck Club Bar and Galley. And Mike, if you haven't seen and haven't been there, you've got to get there. So we went to the Leatherneck Club Bar and Galley and it, it's an amazing place. It's like a Marine Corps museum. And Mike, we walked in the door and we were blown away and instantly hit with the inspiration that we need to do something like that back in Woodstock, Georgia. And so over the next three months, we kind of vacillated between we should do this. We're freaking crazy. No, we can do this. No, we're really crazy. No, we have a young daughter. What are you thinking? To one day, both of us lined up and said, yep, let's make a run for it. And literally, that was how we started.
0: I can't wait to get some more into this as we continue (laughs) chopping it up. Uh, Because again, the restaurant industry is notoriously difficult. What's the, uh, I forgot the show that used to come on, like CBS, whatever, where they turn around these restaurants.
1: Yeah, there's a couple um, of them out there.
0: and yeah, yeah, it's a hard industry. I think a ca- like cash flow, I think an inventory, I think a staff, especially now with COVID, mm-hmm. you know, that frontline staff, right? Mm-hmm. Oh man, there's a lot of challenges there. Uh, but you guys are alive and well. We you are. Know? You're surviving and thriving. We are. We so made it's going it. to be good.
1: Yeah, we made it, so.
0: Before we get into that, we got to take off our armor and get vulnerable for our listeners. Okay. Okay. Because again, there's a lot of hustle porn out there, you know, just, you know, make a million dollars in 30 days taking this course. You know, people end up on the cover of Forbes magazine and yada, yada, yada. But we know how it really is in the trenches. And so this is why we get vulnerable, to take off our armor yeah. because it empowers our listeners and those in the bunker to be vulnerable as well. Mm-hmm. I don't like pretenders, I don't like fakers. You know, I understand, you know, some people have that "fake you make it attitude, but I think we hurt our community when we're trying to teach entrepreneurship that way.
1: Agreed. Agreed. So, you know, um, it's hard, Mike, it's really hard. And what's even more bizarre about our story is we didn't have any restaurant experience when we got started. The most restaurant experience that I had is I was a server for six months when I was in high school. And my husband's tagline is, uh, we ate at a lot of them, and that's how we got started. So uh, there was a tremendous amount of faith required for us to take the jump to get started in this business. And really, in 2015, when we got started, we had to get vulnerable with ourselves right then and there, because we could no longer act like we knew what we were doing. If we tried to act like we knew what we were doing and tried to have that pride and, and you know the chip on the shoulder that we, we carry as veterans and particularly as Marines, we'd have never made it this far. So we had to, in 2015, ask for help. And sometimes that's really hard. And And as I move around in the circles of the veteran entrepreneur community, it's one of the things that I find is still very rampant is that we tend to not ask for help. And there's so much help out there now and it's so much easier to get to that we've got to ask for help. And so even today, I still ask for help because I still don't know it and I still don't know what I'm doing. And I'm consistently asking for help, whether it's strategy or whether it's marketing or really even just, you know, customer relationships or working with my employees. I I have had to learn to really humble myself to ask for help, Mike.
0: I appreciate you sharing. I think we do have a little bit of an ego in this space. Um, a couple things, I think one on the leadership side of the house, because we're all told, oh, we're great leaders, Mm -hmm. you know, um, veterans make great leaders, yada, 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 but leading on the battlefield is a lot different than leading in business. Totally. There's an art and science of leadership in the military, just like there's an art and science of leading a a startup, Mm -hmm. right? There's art and science of leading a small business, the art and science of leading a nonprofit, but you have to be self-aware. A lot of civilians spend a lot of time investing in themselves because they don't know, and they know they don't know, right? Leadership, right? I got a lot of civilian friends. I mean, I'm technically, I'm a civilian, I'm a veteran. I got a lot of civilian friends that are like, Mike, nobody teaches you this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have any leadership foundation to fall upon. And I think for us as veterans, we default to that leadership we learned in military, which has its time and its place. But when we talk about growing a team, managing cash flow managing, uh, 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 hiring and all the stuff that comes with a business is completely different. So you do got to ask for help. You know, that's why I'm so bullish on coaching. I invest a lot of money in coaching. Mm -hmm. I made a decision. I was going to, um, I want to do one day brand intensives, right. Helping, uh, veterans build brands from the ground up in a single day, but that was something I needed to learn from someone. And so I went and hired a branding coach around that framework. Um, so I, I appreciate you sharing about like You know, we've got to ask for help. we got to reach out to people.
1: Now, I want to take off my
0: armor, too. Okay. And this is going to shift to more of the mental aspect. All right. I just published my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur.
1: Congratulations. Um,
0: Thank you. It's up on Amazon. And I know a lot of you out there who pre-ordered, I owe you your hand-signed copy of the book. I would be lying if there wasn't a little voice in the back of my head at times, like, Mike, your book ain't very good. You know? Yep. Right. Like, mm-hmm. to just tell, oh, what are people going to think about it? Yada, yada, yada. Um, and early on, because I was especially like three weeks ago, you know, I don't do the best job of always celebrating my wins. Sure. Sometimes I'm always living in the future instead of being present. Mm-hmm. I was got my iPods in, listen to audio books and yada, yada, yada. And I was super stressed the day the books arrived. Right. So I couldn't even really appreciate it and take it in that I had written this book Mm -hmm. and here it was copy something i had dreamed about doing but because i was like traveling and i had a bunch of going on i couldn't really even appreciate it so you factor that in with you know is it good Mm -hmm. right the negative self-talk the anxiety of worrying about the future and all this other stuff um i just didn't get to appreciate it but now over the last like two weeks i really start to appreciate it give myself a pat on the back and say guess what mike even if it ain't perfect even if it's not a grand slam you still did it no that's but the again truth. these are things that i've had to learn over time mm-hmm. in terms of self-awareness and tools mm-hmm. you know like the gap in the game by dan sullivan and dr benjamin hardy to help me you know navigate the mental aspect of the entrepreneurial journey
1: you know i love that you you admitted that you really had a little bit of imposter syndrome there because imposter syndrome is huge uh, I find it primarily in women. I think I think primarily because women were a little more self aware and were willing to admit the post- imposter syndrome. But I think a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome, and just like like you said, you know, Mike, is my book really that good? Well, why are you second guessing yourself? Of course it's good. You know, and yeah. and maybe sometimes we don't feel worthy about having produced what we produced because we're just not giving ourselves enough credit, and and it's 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 a huge mental leap. To get to a place where you recognize hey yeah i really am doing that like for me i'm looking at my organization and and seven years in now there are days when when i walk out on the street and i'm like that can't really be me am i really doing what i'm doing am i really what the people around me say that i am and it's sometimes it's a struggle and you you can let that negative self-talk get into you and push you down And, and so it's one of the biggest things i do when I walk out the door every morning, I put my armor back on, but that armor is that armor of self-confidence that says, yes, I am who I am and I have accomplished what I have accomplished and I have a right to stand up proud for it.
0: Isn't it crazy sometimes the, the imposterness, the imposter syndrome, the anxiety we feel at times because of how other people perceive us, right? Right. And it's the fact of the matter is like, you are a successful small business owner. You are a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. This isn't your first rodeo, you know? But, you know, I think it sometimes goes back to that um, saying, like, never meet your heroes. Right. We're uh, But we know ourselves. Mm-hmm. So what we do, we're not as impressed with it as other people are. Right. And so, like, even me, you know, Naval Academy grad, Marine infantry officer, Hoover veteran fellow at the Hoover Institution, you know, uh, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. podcast host, author. Right. And to me, that's just like, I'm not trying to sound braggadocious, but to me, that's just another week. Right. <laughs> You know, it's just what I do naturally, but I don't necessarily feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, I want to wear it with my chest. And so when you're battling those things, it can, that's hard in itself outside of the heart of running the business. You got that right. It's everything's
1: hard. Everything's hard. Mike. everything's hard.
0: So for those of you listening that are second guessing yourself, you see people like me and Carrie on here, and you're like, I, w- I could never be like that, yada, yada, yada. I'm telling you, a lot of us feel the same thing. Yep, we do. Right? We're just at different stages in our entrepreneurial journey. Yep. So I want this to be some words of encouragement for you.
1: And I think it's important to talk about, too. You know, just like you said, if you're out there listening and you're, you're thinking these things, know that you're actually on the right track. These are not really as negative as you thought they were, the thoughts that you have. You're on the right track because you're growing and you're starting to recognize something new in yourself and it's important but we you know what we we've always got to give ourselves credit but you know what Mike too we got to reach across the aisle and give everybody else a, a pat on the back too and say hey man great job so you know great job on your book that's i mean that's that is awesome that is awesome that Thank you pursued you. that good for you
0: i owe it to this community you know listening to uh entrepreneurs and their struggles you know um you know, having all these guests on the podcast and teaching classes and stuff. And so it just gave me the courage to kind of step out there and write a book for the community and to particularly inspire the next generation of uh, Black veteran entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who, you know, I like to describe it as just giving people agency. Yeah. Letting people know I see you. Right. You know, it's not bad when I, when I recognize that you're a female Care, okay? It's like, I see you. Right. Exactly. You know? And it doesn't mean people can't get value out of the book. It's just that I was trying to get the attention of a particular demographic. Sure that might not be feel like they get seen all the time.
1: Exactly, exactly. I, I, I love it. I think it's great.
0: It's good stuff. So one of the reasons we've been able to do this show is because of power of community. Mm-hmm. And I got to recognize the community that brought us here today, which is Bunker Labs, National Network of Veteran and Military Spouse Entrepreneurs. Carrie, you are currently in the CEO circle. That is correct. So you're in there with some growth stage veteran-owned business owners. Mm-hmm. How did you find out about Bunker Labs, and what does the community mean to you?
1: So originally, I found out about Bunker Labs. Most, I'm guessing, because it's been a few years ago, I'm guessing through social media. I found out about the availability of the local Bunker Labs group, and I was picked up as a cohort right in the middle of COVID. So we didn't do anything live. We did it all uh, virtually, which was a little more difficult to create the relationships and the friendships that I was really looking for. Uh, But I did jump into Bunker Labs, even though my restaurant was five years old at that time, I jumped into the Bunker Labs in a startup environment because we were making the transition into franchising. So my Bunker Labs participation locally was startup, was beginning the the tour through franchising. And that Bunker Labs experience was fantastic because one of the things that I learned from that local Bunker Labs experience was I tend to hold myself more accountable to what I said I'm going to do in a group of veterans. I think because I have a deeper respect for all the people that sit in the room. And so being a part of that that version of Bunker Labs, I got a lot done because I laid a lot out on the table that I was willing to do, but then I followed up because I couldn't let my veteran team down. You, You just don't do that. So from there, then I was selected to be in the Bunker Labs CEO circle, which my cohort is coming to an end in November. And that, because we had already gone through startup with the franchise, that was really the growth stage of building the franchise, second store operations, um, continuing to polish the current restaurant that we have. And and both experiences have been absolutely amazing. Bunker Labs is a phenomenal organization.
0: And you transitioned out of military in 1993? Correct. Was there a veteran entrepreneurial ecosystem for you back then? No. Nothing. Well,
1: yeah. techni- technically yes, okay? Because very really interestingly and it, and it's an important part of our journey is really interestingly in 1993 the only veteran entrepreneur organization you could find out there was multi-level marketing. Which today my husband and I will talk about we'll talk about our transition from the military where there's a, there's an opportunity for a lot of struggle and transition to the mil, through the military from into the civilian world but we didn't have that because we were deeply embedded in a multi-level marketing company that was mostly veterans anyway, active duty military, transitioning to veterans. So when we transitioned, we stayed with our tribe. So today's opportunities for our military members to be involved in the veteran eco, the veteran entrepreneur ecosystem, they can get started before they even leave the military. That transition because they will have already established their tribe is the same experience that we created in 1993. We just didn't have nearly as much resources as we do today.
0: Now I have to ask you, okay? The military was a lot different in 1993, mm-hmm. okay? Don't ask, don't tell was still a thing, yep. right? Uh, females, I don't know what it was like back then, um, but how was your experience? I guess having support as a female veteran.
1: Well, as a as a female in the military, um, you know, I chose the Marines, which you know, isn't, even at that time, wasn't real excited about having women there, uh, went ahead and broke a glass ceiling while I was in the Marines, becoming the first woman to earn gold jump wings, which was not a positive experience. Um, but honestly, Mike, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as diverse. I mean, divided as you would think it was. I mean, I felt pretty good about it, but I had to become, I had to mold myself into something that was acceptable by the Marines that I was working with. You know, so, so we set a lot of parameters and whatnot, and I really worked hard to have them treat me just like one of the gang. So, I mean, it was, it was not bad. It was hard, definitely hard, but it was, it was not bad. It was not a bad experience. Um, The entire experience obviously made me who I am today. So I would never change a single thing about it. And then, you know, as a, as a female veteran, what's really interesting is from 1993 until about, I don't know, 2005. I pretty walked pretty much walked away from any affiliation I had with the veteran community, because I think because of the division, like a lot of, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of our veteran service organizations that have been established for a hundred years still have a hard time accepting women in their organizations. And so I just, I didn't want to fight that fight. And so I really kind of stepped away from my veteran heritage for a very, very long time, only coming back to it in the early two thousands. And, um, the peace I have found being back with my tribe is has made me whole again.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear. We're like the Web 3.0 of these veteran communities, right? Yeah. Like, again, and it, you know, it doesn't take a lot of rocket science, yo. Y'all listening, don't act like you don't know. There were some organizations out there that weren't as uh, friendly, right. like you said, to a lot of female uh, veterans. And that's unfortunate. It happened to you, but I'm so glad you're back here with us because you have some knowledge bombs to drop. You're such a powerful resource Uh, for our community as a small business owner now i know we touched on it briefly but i want to learn how did you go from being a marine veteran to becoming an entrepreneur
1: how did we do it well like i said it was a divine inspiration um i think i always had an entrepreneurial spirit so my career in residential construction was very entrepreneurial i had joined a company when they were just getting started They had the land, and they were actually building the very first house when I was hired. So I got an opportunity to really work an entire startup in the construction industry for 16 years without risking my money. So it started to feed that entrepreneurial spirit in me, and it taught me so much going through that entire startup so that when the divine inspiration hit us to be a restaurant owner, I felt prepared. And fortunately for us, I had been working for quite a long time. My husband had been working as well. So we, had, we actually had capital stored up. So we had some of the money we needed to be able to get started, but we didn't have all of it. But because we hadn't risked a whole ton of things in our life, we also had great credit. So even though we didn't have restaurant experience, we were able to get a small business loan as well. So it, it sort of, I mean, it, it was January when we saw the place in Las Vegas and Mike, it was August when we opened.
0: Did you have any entrepreneurial education kind of background? Because I know a lot of times that could be a hindrance for people. They think I need to have an MBA. I need to have this.
1: No, not at that time. What I did have, however, was a secret weapon. And that secret weapon is public and available to everybody out there. But most people don't know about it. It's the Small Business Development Center. It's sponsored by the SBA and they are attached to local universities and they provide free coaching. And Mike, that coach that we had was instrumental in our success. Even today, it was the best thing that we ever did. The SBA coach came with knowledge, information, pro forma uh, examples for us. So the spreadsheets were already laid out to get started, but most importantly, they came with connections. So when we needed something, we could go back to the SBDC coach And he had connections in the area to help us get the things we needed. So, I mean, it's, and when, when I'm on, on Facebook and social media all over with the veteran organizations, people are asking about how to get started. I'm always telling everybody, go to the small business development center because you'd be surprised what you can get there. So, I mean, that was, that was instrumental in our success.
0: Yeah. Rutgers university is our state university Mm -hmm. here. Um, and, uh, they have SBCCs all over. Right. And that was one of the things I did. Definitely connected with them. Got connected with Andrew Frazier, who I'm still connected with today. Mm -hmm. Even had an opportunity to produce a podcast series for them. So that is a great resource. Now, on another podcast I was listening to to, with you and your husband, the restaurant business. Everyone was telling you, don't open a restaurant. Right. Right. It's the worst business ever. Right. Why do people have that perception?
1: The margins are really slim. First of all, straight up, the margins are really slim. Uh, It is hyper, hyper complicated. There are so many moving parts and so many moving pieces that when not done correctly, most restaurant owners become married to their restaurant and they give up everything else in life. So we actually went, and when everybody said, don't open a restaurant, don't open a restaurant, we actually asked why. And that's the things that we heard. And one of the biggest pushbacks was is we'll never see you again because you'll be married to the restaurant and you can't get away. So we made a specific decision in the very beginning that we were going to set our projections so that we could afford management teams. So we would not be married to our restaurant and we would not need to be there 24 seven. And that has made our experience in the restaurant business different than others because we are not married to it. I seldom am in the restaurant. I'm working 99% behind the scenes. I do pick up some work on the floor every once in a while and my husband runs one shift a week. And so we're not married to it, which has made all the difference. We actually can spend more time working on the business instead of in the business.
0: That's very interesting because my favorite restaurants here in Jersey, mm-hmm. like the owner's there all the time. Oh,
1: don't get me wrong. My husband yeah. is there all the time, but we call him the mayor of the town because he's
0: there shaking hands, kissing babies,
1: Exactly. And and we we're, our restaurant is military theme. So he actually is he's such a great people person. Uh, he finds genuine joy and interest in listening to everybody else's stories. And as veterans, that's one of the biggest challenges we have throughout all of our decades as veterans. It's hard for us to find somewhere where we can tell our story and somebody actually gets it, and he thrives in that environment. And I enjoy it as well. I just don't have the same amount of time as he does. And so, I mean, he really makes a huge difference inside the four walls when people come in to enjoy themselves at our restaurant.
0: You mentioned when you were in Vegas, you saw something and you were like, we can turn this into a restaurant mm-hmm. um, back home mm-hmm. what is it that you saw
1: we we felt it wasn't what we saw like it was what we felt when we walked in the door we felt like we found a place where we belonged immediately the surroundings the, the walls were decorated with Marine Corps memorabilia so the colors the pictures the shapes, fed into your visual mindset right away and brought you right back to an environment where you were in the marines. So, you know, you had you had like guidon flags, the typical red and gold guidon flags and your mind sees that instantly and takes you right back to a time period and an era and an environment where you where you belonged. It was your tribe. And when we walked in that building, we felt that immediately. And then the camaraderie was was over the top. I'd never walked into a place before where people were genuinely excited to have you there and wanted to hear your story and hear about where you were from and who you were. And so it was that feeling that captured us and the visuals are what creates that feeling. And so that's what we actually recreated back here in Woodstock.
0: So you come back to Woodstock, you meet with the SBDC, mm-hmm. you develop a business plan.
1: Correct. Yes.
0: And you got a bank loan to get the initial startup capital to fund the business.
1: We got, we did get a bank loan, and it was not quite enough, so we had to tap into our personal savings. Uh, and it never is. <laughs> no, right, and then, and then also too, our SBDC coach uh, really strongly encouraged us to make sure that we had enough capital available for working capital for, for at least the first six months because the restaurant most likely would not be successful the first six months at least. And so we had to have working capital as well. And I think that's a place where a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs miss is, okay, I got enough money to get started. Well, then what? What are you going to do at the end of the first month when the sales didn't reach where you needed them to be because you're brand new, but you have people to pay and you have inventory to pay for and bills to pay for. So we don't, we're undercapitalized way too often. And so, so we, uh, we we were able to gather everything we needed between the SBA loan and the savings that we had to get started. And like I said, we got started, we saw the idea in January and by August we were open. And so what's really interesting in the restaurant world is it typically takes about 18 months to go from concept to open. And so I always liken us to be being bubble bee, bumblebees because the bumblebee shouldn't fly, but nobody told them. Well, nobody told us it was supposed to take 18 months to go from concept to open. And we did it in less than really less than eight. So we were not successful for the first six months. No, for the first 12 months. So it took a lot more for us to really get it figured out and get it successful than what we had planned on. And so having, having the the capital available was extremely important, but I also did not quit my job when we started My husband quit his job, but I kept my job so that we had enough money to keep our own lights on and enough money to help support the business until it got up and running. So I actually worked my corporate job for five years while I was helping run the restaurant.
0: Here's something I want to say about that. Right. And I want to take a tactical pause here to talk about um, operational capital. What do we not operational? What do we call it? Working. capital. Um, Working capital. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have since become a fan of Third Shift Entrepreneurship. Right. I had a chance to write the intro for Todd Connor, the founder of Bunker Labs, in his book, Third Shift Entrepreneur. And the idea is that it's okay to work a full-time job and start your business on the side. Because let me tell y'all, you can sit in all the business classes you want, you can take all the online courses, right? But until you've really dealt with cash flow management, right, you gotta feel it and understand how to navigate it mm-hmm. and the risk that comes with it. And stuff just comes up right like oh yeah that website you need redone guess what you need working capital you know uh the g suite for your team so they can have access to google docs you need working capital the QuickBooks software you know all of that stuff and that's not in given like something breaks right you know and now you got to go get it fixed and so as small business owners unlike startup entrepreneurs, which need working capital too, but we don't got venture capitalists. Mm -mm. So a lot of times we have to fund our own businesses. So those of you out there that are working a full-time job, feeling guilty because you're like, I'm not an entrepreneur yet. Listen, it's okay. But again, you need to validate that business model, right? start getting some revenue, set a number, get to some profitability number, and then make that transition easier. And so one of the things I was going to ask you, Carrie, is is there anything you would have done differently because you said the first six months were not successful. Not. Is there anything you could have done to fix it? Yeah. Looking back, oh,
1: absolutely. The 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 number one thing is it's funny actually, but the number one thing was actually take a little bit more time before we got started. If we'd have invested a little bit more time in making sure that our systems were up and running, that our processes were right, that our pricing was right, if we'd have, if we'd have done startup a little bit better, we probably would have been profitable a little bit sooner. And we're still learning and still fine tuning and Every year, my goal is to grab one more percent of net profit. And so it's constantly adjusting and tweaking processes and systems in order to find that one percent in profit every single year. But I think I really do believe seven years later that if we had taken a little bit more time before we got started, we would have been profitable sooner.
0: Yeah, but you don't know what you don't know. Truth. Here's what I know, right? Business is a contact sport. So yeah, you're getting beat up, but also you're making adjustments and you're learning. Because there's a lot of stuff, like, again, you can sit in that classroom, you can do all the planning, but until you open those doors, you know, until you have a server who doesn't show up right. and you got to cover the shift, right? Like, now you're learning. Yes. And so I think there is no right answer, mm-hmm. but I am a big fan of, like, people got to get out there and get started because learning time waits for no man or woman, and you got to get that market-based, market-based feedback Sooner rather than later.
1: I agree, and it's and it's a it's a really catch twenty two because you know we'll we'll tell people go ahead and jump, don't wait forever, jump, and that's what we chose to do. We chose to jump into the mission right then and there, and not wait anymore because there were just too many unknowns, and you know so seven years later it's easy to look back and say yeah if I would have taken a little bit more time to find some more of the unknowns we'd have been more successful. But then it begs the question if I'd have taken a little more time. Would I actually even gotten started? Maybe not. You know, so so we do have to we do have to jump. You know,
0: I want to talk about the messy middle. The
1: mess, okay. I feel like I got a
0: whole blog series and podcast on this, right? So a lot of y'all out there are, you know, some of y'all listen to early stage. You're all excited about launching your ventures. Then you get one customer, you get two customers, maybe you get the profitability. Now you're in it, mm-hmm. and you're in it full time. And now it becomes a grind, that slow grind, right? Mm -hmm. All the initial excitement of launching is gone. And now you're like, what are we working towards? You know, Mm -hmm. am I going to cash flow, make this business cash flow positive so I can just sit back, kick my feet up, you know, and have a paycheck from it, you know, every Mm -hmm. month, right? Am I working towards exit? You know, now I got to manage staff and I got to grow. And it just becomes a whole mess. What has the messy middle been like for you all? Once you got past, okay, now we can make it successful. Now we're like in it.
1: So we, we really figured it out. We started in in the fall of 2015 and we really figured it out by the, by the fall of say 2017. So from 2017 to 2019, we were starting to really truck along. Um, But it's like I said earlier, it's, it's business is this thing that has a mind of its own sometimes. And it's, it's, you can think and you can strategize and you can make your game plans and you can set your processes and systems the way they're supposed to be and, and, and know that it's going to work, but then there's always a wrench in the system and they're usually unknown. And in the restaurant business, they are all over the board from people to product to, uh, plumbing to people. Yeah. People, product plumbing, that sounds pretty good. Uh, Equipment. Uh, the, the craziest thing about the restaurant business, Mike, is that I don't know how many people are coming in for lunch today. I have absolutely zero idea how much product I really need and all of the inventory that I have is perishable. So it's important to know how many people are coming in today to know how much I'm supposed to have on the shelf so I don't lose the things that I have. And so the messy middle for me is perishable because it's, everything's changing and, and Everything could be wasted in our industry, so it's been, it's been complicated in the messy middle. And then in the middle of the messy middle, I chose to leave my job in January of 2020 because we felt it was the right time to leave the job. And of course, we all know what happened March 14th of 2020, and in the restaurant business, that was that ground us to an immediate halt. Immediate halt. And so today, I'm super thankful that I was not working in that other company because I was in a leadership position at another company. I would have had to handle them as well as handling my own staff in the restaurant. So the messy middle for us has been atrociously messy. Uh, but the what you learn in the middle is so powerful for your growth in the future that if you don't go through this messy middle and really get your stuff right and make it go and solve these problems that come along your way, you're not going to be prepared for growth. So our, our messy middle has been pretty junky, pretty tough.
0: Talk to our... Listeners, about mentally, what you went through to get the confidence to jump in full time. Because last time I checked, I didn't know if restaurants were giving out four hundred one ks and all these other kind of benefits. And so, you know, we have that that safety net, that cushion. Mm -hmm. But when you jump full time, you feel naked. Yeah, basically Mm -hmm. that vulnerability. And how did you have the courage to make that leap?
1: You know, it's really, it's really just I took a leap of faith. It just took a leap of faith. We felt confident in where we were. We understood what the business was doing. We were moving along through the franchise and it was time for me to start getting some foot on the ground and really getting the franchise up and running and going. And so, you know, financially, we still had what we needed in the bank to survive for about two years. Personally, that's really all we had was about two years. So I have a two-year timeline to make it go. And then, of course, you know when, when COVID hit, it sort of changed a lot of things. We took advantage of a lot of the federal money that came out, which now has capitalized us to be able to expand, making expansion just an ounce easier, really, just because you've got some capital there. But it's still exceedingly stressful to go through this growth phase and expand because you still don't know if it's going to work. Even though we're just duplicating what we have, that doesn't mean it's actually really going to work. And And I've got two years, really.
0: At what point did you see the opportunity to uh, expand via franchise?
1: So we saw it. We saw it early on that we were really onto something, Mike. But what's really interesting is I never could articulate what we were onto until after we opened up after COVID. Because during COVID, we were we're in Georgia, so in Georgia we were shut down for six weeks, which is a huge blessing compared to many places around the country. So when we opened back up is when I learned to be able to articulate what we do. And it's exactly what I said about when we went out to the place in Las Vegas. We have been able to create an environment where veterans walk through the door and they feel like they found a place where they belong. And what I realized is with veterans, whether you've been out of the military for five months, five years, 50 years, there are points in time in our life where we feel like we just don't fit in. I've had lots of those points in time over the last 30 whatever years that I've been out. I just feel like I didn't fit in. And we've created a place where when you walk in the door, you know that you fit in as a veteran, regardless of what branch you were in, how you served. I mean, the the whole, you know, disconnect between well you were Vietnam or you're Vietnam in country versus not in country. None of that matters anymore. When you walk in our door, you know that you found a place where you belong. And we saw it before COVID, but couldn't articulate it. But that's when we started realizing that what we had and what we were doing for our community needed to be duplicated across the country. What we provide our community is needed in every town in America. And so we chose the franchise as the way to do it. We feel like, so it's really cool about our franchise, this is what's really cool, is that we feel like, we feel like this is an opportunity for us to really make a difference in communities all across America. But more importantly, Mike, we have a program where veterans can get involved with us and can earn their way into a franchise because not everybody can enter the restaurant business the way we did. They're not going to be fully funded and capitalized and have great credit. Many veterans are starting at the bottom with very little of that. So we've created a program in the franchising where as a veteran, you can come in and you can work your way into owning the franchise. And I've got the, ba- the backing that I need for that. I've had these conversations with the Small Business Development Center who understand lending, both commercial and private lending, and have been able to walk me through setting this up. So as we roll out the franchise, we're looking for veterans who want an opportunity to make a difference in their community. I didn't say we're offering them a restaurant. It just happens to come with a restaurant. But we're offering veterans an opportunity to make a difference in their community Through great food, great service, and creating a place where everybody immediately feels like they belong.
0: I know there's a lot of emphasis placed on venture capital these days Mm -hmm. to jumpstart businesses. But the ability to incubate young talent Mm -hmm. and grow internally, I think the options are limitless. Mm -hmm. A lot of us as business owners have the ability to incubate at least one person. Right. You know, and what does incubation mean? It means, hey man, you want to start your little digital agency cool, you can work out of my office. Right. You know, I'll teach you a little bit. Maybe I'll even throw you some clients or something, you know? And that's how you lift as you lift as we climb. I love what you're doing because on the franchise side of the house, get them in, work with you, earn some sweat equity, mm-hmm. build their confidence up, build your confidence up, and then spin them out to go set up a franchise somewhere.
1: Right. And and so really, you know, what we're doing is We'll find the right veteran, franchisee prospect, and we'll actually build the store where they are, as long as the store makes sense right there. We'll build the store where they are. It's a company-owned store. They'll work with us for a couple of years, earn that sweat equity. But what we do is we create a viable business that venture capital, private funding, even banks are interested in lending when you've got a viable business up and running, two to three years worth of PL statements showing positive growth. It's 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 just amazing pathway that we have to bring on other veterans who want to who want to have their own business that can and they can be the mayor of the town and create that impact in their town like we have it's just i'm i'm ecstatic about it i'm so ecstatic that this has actually come together but what's really cool about it too is along that process during sweat equity they're learning everything they need to be a successful entrepreneur so they're they're not they're starting almost as an employee And they're learning everything they need to be as a successful entrepreneur. So when they take on the reins, they already know what they're doing. And it's already on a growth trajectory.
0: What does the impact look for your restaurant outside of the, I mean, what does the impact look for veterans outside of just a restaurant? Because here's what I'm thinking in my mind, right? I I went to a tech event here in Newark last Mm -hmm. week. And all the little tech businesses here, local, we got together at a brewery. We're drinking and catching up, yada, yada, yada. I can imagine, like you said, being that transitioning veteran, not really knowing what next steps look like, not really having a professional network. And somebody says, hey, you should go check out this grill. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And you walk through the door and there's some other veterans in there. And next thing you know, you start networking and now you find your tribe. Mm -hmm. What has that allowed veterans to do outside of the restaurant?
1: Oh, you know, the the connectivity that we find in the restaurant has has absolutely been amazing. We for a while we had a little uh, veteran business owner group that was going on. I'm actually thinking about getting that started again and really creating a training environment where we're talking about coaching and developing leaders and things like that as well as, you know, the business acumen. But the connectivity that I see happening for veterans regardless of what they're doing, whether they're business owners or working for somebody, They're building their businesses by coming through our our doors. But not only that, Mike, the the big thing is this, is that we are seeing veteran healing happening, Um, amazing veteran healing. And what's really great about us is is, um, our location is called Semper Fi Bar and Grill because we're Marines and we're blockheads. And so we called it Semper Fi Bar and Grill. As we franchise, it's called Rally Point Grill because we all understand that a rally point is a place where people gather. But what's great about our grill is that we're a beacon in the community and veterans who are struggling actually know to come to us they will come to us and they will ask for myself or my husband for somebody to talk to and our staff also knows if we're not there there's always another veteran in the building who will talk to a veteran who's struggling all you have to do is ask all you have to do is tell somebody hey i got a veteran just walked in the door they're struggling would you be willing to talk to them and we have done that before and everybody says yes So we have this this place where veterans who are struggling or need something know to come and talk to us. We have resources. We've gathered the resources in the local community. So whatever it is that they're looking for, chances are we know which organization here in the community can help them, whether it's mental health or it's financial or maybe they need house repairs, whatever the case may be, we have those resources. So we've become that beacon in the community where veterans know to come to find that. Has nothing to do with a hamburger, but hey, while you're here, can we get you something to eat? And I'll tell you one of the neatest stories that we have is being being a restaurant like this. Our front of house, our servers, our bartenders—they get to interact with the customers all the time, so they're seeing and feeling the impact that our organization has on the community. The guys in the kitchen—they don't get that. They're serving up great food. They're working hard. They're serving up great food. They don't get that, but yet. One of the coolest stories we have is one of my kitchen guys was out back taking a break and he saw a guy out in the parking lot, kind of checked him out and said, I bet this guy's probably homeless. He went up and talked to him, found out that he was a homeless veteran. And he said, look, come in, let me make you something to eat. And our staff all, they all know this, that anytime you find a veteran that needs something, bring them in and take care of them. He brought him in, he talked to him, he sat him down, gave him something to eat, got him something to drink, got everything that he needed, got him completely settled in before he bothered to call us and tell us that there was a homeless veteran there because he took it upon himself to take care of him. And that's a back of house guy who doesn't get that type of experience every day. That's when I knew that we had created a culture that understood they were all serving something bigger than themselves. So we talk about the restaurant industry and and the word on the street is that the restaurant industry is really difficult because it's hard to find people. Well, one thing that I don't do is I don't participate in the news. So I don't listen to it and I don't let that affect what's happening in my organization or what we're doing. And the truth of the matter is, is because our restaurant does something great in the community, the restaurant industry workers want to work for us. So when we have an opening, it's filled very quickly because everybody wants the well people want the opportunity to come and work for us because of who we are and what we stand for and what we do and that we've created a sense within our culture that everybody understands they're working for something bigger than themselves.
0: I was going to say when you were talking that telling that story. That's a powerful story by the way. Thank you. I was thinking about values mm-hmm. and culture. Mm-hmm. That's exactly where my mind went as a brand person yep. because it's one thing when you're standing over people's shoulder, dictating, telling them what to do. It's another thing when, like you say, they walk out in the parking lot, see a homeless veteran and say, hey, you've come to the right place. Right. I got you, yep. right? Yep. And I bet that they probably wouldn't be the only one. You might've had five other chefs back there that probably do the same thing. Yep. And that's why I'm so bullish on those core values and your core purpose and not just putting it on paper and saying this is what we do, but evangelizing it, teaching, right. coaching people on it. Right. Um, and that's powerful. Yeah, I don't as you look,
1: I don't even tell people, when people ask me what I do, I really don't even lead with a restaurant. I really no. just lead more with that we've just created a place that's a beacon in the community to bring veterans and civilians together to support one another. And then, you know, we feed them great food, too. And they're like, oh, do you have a restaurant? I'm like, yeah, actually, that's what it is.
0: I think also we also get caught up in this social impact. hmm you know, what is a social venture? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, again, it's set up. Oh, you got to scale nationwide. You got to da And I know this is one of the goals with Rally Point, but also, man, I think a social impact small businesses all day. Yes. You know, you can walk in there and get a hot plate of food. You know, you can get a donation to your little league team. Right. You know, there is a lot of social impact taking place, these community focused uh, small businesses. And we just need to make sure we're giving them their flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just, you know, the Warby Parkers of the world.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, the, the social enterprise side of things is super, super powerful. And I was at an event for um, the IVMF out of Syracuse. I don't, You probably know of them. I was yep. at an event up there. And one of the things we were talking about is really finding that passion. And I actually encourage veterans today, especially right now, if you are passionate about our climate issues and our pollution issues, and all of these issues that surround our quality of life, you need to be involved in a business that does that right now. Because if you look at where our government is spending their money, they're spending billions of dollars in our climate and in our environment. And you wanna be a social entrepreneur with passion, find something. And, and I say this because, because as veterans, we get top choice. We're top choice when it comes to where they spend their money. If you go through the process to get yourself registered. And so watch where the government is spending and where they're spending their money. And if you can find a lane in there that you're passionate about, you can be a veteran business that's going to be tapping into the money that's coming out of the government. And you'll be wildly successful. And you still have an opportunity to have a social enterprise that's making a difference.
0: There's a, uh, a successful veteran-owned business that it does exactly that. And they support us at Ironbound Boxing, Mm -hmm. just like you said. He said, don't ask me. He didn't say, don't ask me. He said, you're taken care of. You know, I just want to support. You know, because you're like, he got that big government contract and wanted to support us here in Newark. And so again, social impact comes in many ways. and I appreciate you for sharing that. And as you look towards the future, Carrie, what's your BHAG? What's that big, hairy, audacious goal that you and your husband are working towards
1: you know what's great mike is you could walk in our restaurant and ask any one of my staff what the Hag is and they'll all tell you in a heartbeat that we will open a rally point grill in jamaica that's the Hag.
0: you know what's interesting about that i know a lot of jamaican marines
1: awesome man i'm gonna need them i'm gonna need them we yeah. we we have a game plan you know to to expand either from company stores or or the franchise model that i was talking about And within five years, our goal is to have the footprint large enough in continental United States. And then we want to open the store in Jamaica. And the reason we want to open the store in Jamaica is because we feel like we can reach hundreds of thousands of veterans in Jamaica, which doesn't seem to make sense. However, I will be in the port where the cruise ships come because we have lots of veterans that go on cruises And they come from all over the world, really. They come from all over the United States as well. And so if we have a Rally Point Grill in Jamaica, we will be able to see veterans from all over the United States at a central location faster than we can actually expand across the country. So and I mean, who doesn't want to have to go to Jamaica to work, you know, work for three days and lay on the beach for four days? I can do that.
0: I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah. So as we close out here, a couple of things, two questions for you. Okay. Number one. What words of advice and encouragement would you like to leave our listeners with as they continue on their own entrepreneurial journey? And as a community, how can we support and elevate the work you're doing at Rally Point Grill so that we can help you get one step closer to that BHAG?
1: These are, these are great questions, Mike. And so one of the things I would say, my advice would be to the veterans, you know, this is your next mission. We all are trained in how to prepare for a mission. And if you remember your training about how you prepare for our next mission and you go out there and you know your plan and you remember the part of training for your next mission that it may not go as planned. And so we have to think about what could be coming at us next and how are we going to overcome those potential hazards that might come along the way. And it really, it just goes back to how we plan our missions before we're stepping out on things. And and this is this is your next mission and failure is not an option. You're going to overcome. As Marines, we improvise, adapt, and overcome. And that has been the lifeblood for us for every time a problem or a situation came up. We had to figure it out because failing this mission is not an option. We had to keep moving forward. So that, I mean, that's really what I what I would say to them is, is you know what? Tenacity. Just keep going. Keep figuring it out and just keep putting one foot in front of the other and it will it will all come to fruition. It may not go like you thought it was going to, the missions often don't go the way we think they're going to, but at the end of the day, we're after a successful mission. So I think that that's what I would have for advice for others and really how you can support us in what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, it's, it's difficult because we're not spread across the country yet, but here's what I would ask everybody to do. I would ask everybody to support their local independent restaurants and retail organizations. One of the biggest problems we have in this country, and it's one of the biggest problems we have as entrepreneurs, is large companies are starting to crush the smaller ones. We had the whole Walmart problem. Now we have the whole Amazon problem. And quite honestly, even in the restaurant industry, corporate restaurants can offer so much more to their workers than independents can. And it's not as easy as saying, well, you just need to raise your prices. the, The problem is not as easy to solve. And so what I really want... The veteran entrepreneurs across the listening grounds that are people that are listening at is think about how to support your local independent stores because they need that support more than a corporate does. And remember that when you spend money at Rally Point Grill or Semper Bar and Grill, I'm not floating away on my private 80-foot yacht. I'm trying to put my kids through school. And that's what local business owners are trying to do. Whereas if you go to a chain restaurant or you go to a chain store, that CEO is making millions of dollars. Make your money matter. I think that's more important than anything out there.
0: I'm at that's a podcast episode. Because I was about to say that don't just apply for restaurants. No, it's everything. You know, make your money matter. Yep. That's a great idea. Hold on, y'all. I gotta take a pause. I gotta I gotta write that down. That's a billion dollar insight. And I'll tell you, man, I go out of my way. I live in the heart of Newark, New Jersey. I live right downtown, okay? I've been here since 2015, all right? And we haven't always had the nicest things here. Mm-hmm. I had a CrossFit gym pop up. I got really amazing restaurants popped up. And guess what? During the pandemic, I was going out of my way to spend money at them. You know why? Because I want them here. Mm-hmm. We've got to shift our mindset to this uh, value for value. Right. You know, this idea that, like, if there's a business That you want around you got to support it absolutely don't take it for granted that it's just going to be there you know and so that's why i i like this idea of make your money matter because you know there's all this stuff talking about the uh recession and yada 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 what can we control Mm -hmm. what can we do Mm -hmm. and when i think about small businesses just like you said our local communities they give the most about the communities they live there typically Mm -hmm. you know they're around so let's make our money matter y'all both amongst the veteran community as well as those businesses we care about in our local community. Absolutely. And, Carrie, I appreciate having you on today. Where can people find you? How can they get a hold of you?
1: So, one of the best things to do is to find me on LinkedIn, uh, Carrie Roger, C A R R I E R O E G E R.com. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Uh, our websites are Semperfy Bar and Grill. Grill's got an E on the end of it, dot com, and Rally Point Grill, also with an E on the end of it, dot com. And uh, those are two great places to get started. Catch up on us. We're very active on Facebook with Semperify Bar and Grill. And again, like I said, I'm on LinkedIn. So if you want to reach out, that's a great way to reach me.
0: I'll be sure to include the links to all of those um, in our show notes. And for all our listeners, do me a favor go ahead and subscribe to the Transition Newsletter as well at the link in the show notes. Haven't said out newsletter in a minute, but I will. And after there's top, you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at Mike.Stedman at BunkerLabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn. Until next time, everyone. Peace, love. Have a great rest of your week.